I'm really glad to be here this morning. Thank you for um, just greeting me so warmly. Got a chance to connect before the service with a number of you, a lot of smiling faces, and I'm grateful for um, just the relationship that uh, I've been able to cultivate over the years um, with the congregation here. And um, as Paul said, um, we've had relationship for uh, some time now, and um, I just have tremendous respect for um, for Paul, his leadership, and uh, also for you as a congregation, getting to know you over the years. Interestingly enough, um, not only did I pastor a congregation that met here where you now meet, but um, my earliest memories of going to church was attending services at what's now Kid Street Theater, the old schoolhouse there. So there's always been this like facility thing for me uh, connection-wise with you guys. And, um, and so I'm really grateful to be here, uh, really honored to have the chance to share and um, just love uh, Paul's uh, heart for Jesus, um, his just commitment to the gospel and as a result of that, the way he digs into the word of God. And so um, definitely honored to have a chance to preach here and to follow Adam Wilson, who I also really respect. And uh, I know that he is someone who's also given himself um, to knowing and understanding the good news about Jesus uh, revealed in the scriptures. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to be here um, couple things just quickly as we're getting started. I know we're in a series on the minor prophets, but I, I want to say thank you for engaging um, in the way that you are with foster care, both with Foster the City and then with the upcoming outreach with Giving Tree. Um, one, this is just a, a great way of living out our faith in accordance with the scriptures. The scripture talks very specifically about how we engage with orphans and widows and those who are isolated and in need in this way. And it's a very uh, powerful message and um, such a consistent way of expressing the love of God um, to our community. But I'm also really grateful because right now what's going on in foster care is just this beautiful picture, not just of the love of God through the church, but also um, what can happen as the church, kind of big C church, works together a little bit. And that's part of what I do with, with Feathervine. And so um, each outreach to, uh, to a family or a child, you know, it's very personal and specific and powerful in itself. But what's going on right now through the, the churches, the 20 or so churches in Sonoma County in particular, that are working across multiple agencies in foster care is that there's this uh, witness out of the corporate church that's really powerful. So um, how many of you know there's some things in life that are too big to lift by ourselves? I just uh, had the joy of doing a dump run, uh, clearing a bunch of stuff that shouldn't have been on my property out and away, right? And I had to get help because there was no way that I was going to move some of those things by myself. And so sometimes you got to get, who knows how many, but let's just say two or three, if this is a big, heavy thing, you got to get two or three people to move it, right? But I think it's like common sense for most of us experientially 
that just getting two or three people around a big problem isn't enough. Because if you don't lift together, it's no different than being the only person around the obstacle. Does that make sense? And this is an issue that we face historically in Sonoma County. Um, In fact, we brought, and we know we got a big homelessness problem, right? We brought um, uh, consultants out from Washington, D.C. to help the city of Santa Rosa and the county of Sonoma look at our homelessness problem. And they said, we have never been to a community that has a homelessness problem like you that has so many people trying to solve homelessness. You have more nonprofits working with homelessness than we've, not, than we've seen anywhere. And, and you gotta understand, this is kind of an interesting thing if you look at our history of how we do things in Sonoma County. Geographically, like we're really diverse, right? So Napa Valley is kind of like one longer valley. I know that's not exactly right. Um, Sonoma County's got like 13. And so maybe our geography has to do some of it, but it's kind of unheard of. We're pretty rare that a county with our size of landmass would have 40 fire districts, right? We're trying to consolidate it, but we got 40 fire districts. We've got 40 school districts. We like kind of creating our own little ways of doing things. And so they said, we've never seen a community as so many different organizations trying to solve homelessness, getting so little done. And they said, one of the biggest problems is you guys don't know how to lift together on three. You'd be much better to have fewer organizations, more coordinated and more cooperated. And sometimes, you know, as we're, as we're trying to proclaim the good news about Jesus into a community, there's some things that it helps for the church to lift together on three around. And, um, and so I'm grateful the way that that's happening in foster care because there, there's a message. Something is being moved in regards to our foster care system that's touching the, and changing the perspective of our government leaders. It, it's impacting um, the, the way that um, social workers and case manager do, managers are doing their work. And it's causing the families in the system to feel much more supported and cooperated. And similar to, I think you know about the nomadic shelter, right? There's something powerful when not only are we not striving and straining to solve homelessness one church at a time, but, but there's also this message that is going out to the community about um, how the people of God are spread throughout the community of God doing the work of God in a very powerful way. Uh, one of the people who I think is making a really big difference in helping nurturing the relationships that are helping us to, to build trust with one another and um, to keep God first. This is not a social gospel movement. This is a gospel of Jesus Christ, right, movement. One of the, the people who's helping that coordination and cooperation and being anchored in the faith is um, a man named Paul Ortlinghaus. Some of you might know him. Uh, he, uh, I, I just, I'm so grateful for his voice and his work. Um, he's dedicated to this congregation, but he does carve time out to encourage other pastors, to meet with other pastors. Um, twice a month, uh, we meet with pastors from the Santa Rosa area up at the Spring Hills community, and Paul has emerged as a leader 
uh, in that group and is helping to, to give some direction and, and to lead some of those times. And I'm super grateful for that and I'm grateful that God's given him not only to Soma Church, but to, to the church here in this community where we want to see Jesus glorified. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, we're in a series on the Minor Prophets. We're going to talk uh, about um, God's message to his people through the prophet Haggai. And uh, if you've got your Bible with you, you can turn to page 818. Um, I rarely use that joke anymore. I used to love it when I was preaching, but pretty much it just proves that I'm not a millennial because most people don't even get the joke uh, that, that I just told. But um, uh, Haggai is, is right at the very end of the Old Testament. So 66 books in the Bible, 27 in the New Testament, 39 in the Old Testament. And Haggai is number 37 in the way that we organize those. It's the 10th of the 12 minor prophets that you're going to be looking through in this series. And so we want to talk about it um, just for uh, a few minutes here. Uh, I want to encourage you, this is this is a great book. There is so much. I mean, it's just a reminder because it's probably not like really well-worn pages. Uh, some of you may not have a lot of highlighting in your Bible here, um, but there, it's just so rich. And it's such a picture of the fact that, that all of God's word is living and active and designed to, to, to bring us to a greater knowledge of God and, and to exalt Jesus Christ and to be at work in helping us be conformed to the image of Christ. And so um, Haggai is only two chapters long. The first chapter has 15 verses. The second has uh, 23 verses. So I was really tempted. I mean, this whole book's only 38 verses. I was like, maybe we should just read the whole thing out loud together. Is for a long part of, of church history and, a, and certainly also in Jesus' time, that's what would probably happen when Haggai was being engaged is they would just read the whole thing out loud together. There's a reason why in Romans 10, 17, it says faith comes by hearing because that was the primary way people were first exposed to the word of God. We're not going to do that, but a couple of things just to orient us, and I'm guessing some of this is review for you, but uh, how many of you know that repetition is a really important part of, uh, of our coming to the knowledge of God and his word? So um, uh, Israel, um, you know, is, is delivered from slavery to Egypt. They go through an amazing season that covers most all of the the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, it was called, uh, as they're wandering in the wilderness. And then in Joshua, we have them coming into this land that had been promised to them and um, being established in that place and being one nation, one people in that place. And they go through a series with Joshua and Judges, right? Um, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, and of course, First and Second Chronicles. Uh, now we've kind of shifted the order of things, but it's in that same time period. It all leads up to David. He's uh, 
He is a king of promise and associated with promise, right? He's, he's someone who, in his reign, we start to get pictures of Jesus, the Messiah, to come. And, um, but then after David, his son Solomon comes on the throne, and there's a turning, uh, turning point in Solomon's life, and that becomes a turning point in the story of the people of God, the nation of Israel in, in this Old Testament context. And on the backside of Solomon's reign, when his son comes to reign, um, the word of God is fulfilled as it always is. And there's a division that happens in Israel. And it becomes a northern kingdom of 10 tribes and a southern kingdom of two tribes. And, and that begins just a, a, a long and tumultuous season of them drifting away from the ways of God, the word of God, the purposes of God. And as a result of that, there's a judgment that comes. And so the, the minor prophets, it doesn't mean that they're of less importance. It really refers, you've heard this, that just the minor prophetic books are shorter in length than the major prophetic books. And in all of these books, the five major prophets, the 12 minor prophets, God is coming to try and do exactly what we just heard about in our catechism, which I absolutely love that you're doing that. And um, if my message doesn't make sense this morning, just listen again to Paul's explanation of of, uh, the catechism this morning, because it's really right in the heart of the message. If you remember uh, what he said in that beginning explanation, the words reorientation were used being reoriented to God's glory, being reoriented to consecrating Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, being reoriented to putting the things of God first. And so the prophets come one after another, and they're constantly bringing this message, this word of the Lord, trying to help the, the people who had received this incredible promise and everything that God had done for them and given to them to to help reorient them back to God. And so, um, you know, historically, in 722, the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, they fall, they're taken into exile, and then in that 722 BC, then 587 BC, Judah, the southern kingdom falls, and, and there's this promise through Jeremiah as they go into Babylon that God will bring them back. And guess what? God was true to his word. His word comes true, and roughly about 70 years later, uh, they come back. And so in uh, 538, 539, there's this return of the, the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, back to Jerusalem. And, um, and so as they come back, um, God does this amazing thing where they're sent back with favor. It's unexpected. And they're actually commissioned by ungodly leaders to go back to Jerusalem, to go back um, to this land that they had been exiled from, this land that God had promised to them to build the temple, to build the temple of God. This is amazing where this ungodly leader says, hey, um, God's people should go back to his land and build a temple that honors him. That's amazing how sometimes God will just work through people who, who aren't in a right relationship with them, but he just, 
he does that work. It's incredible. And so um, that happens. They, they go back in about 538, 539. And the book of Ezra talks about the fact that um, they start the work, rebuilding the temple. And, and uh, in about two years, they lay the foundation for the temple, which is a, it's an awesome accomplishment. It's a work of the grace of God in that deal. And then they stop the work. And so um, about 15 years later, in 520 BC, the word of the Lord comes through Haggai to the people living in Jerusalem. And that's what this whole thing is about. I brought you back from Babylon. I sent you here to build the temple. Why have you stopped the work? It's kind of a a poignant question that we want to look at here. And so um, there's more we could say, but let's just jump into the, the text. So first thing, that uh, I want to say to us is that Haggai is a message to those who were first to return from exile, and it's grounded in time and place. One of the things that that we need to understand is like when we see, uh, you know, Micah or Zephaniah or Jonah or Haggai, this is God speaking through people, like who were grounded in time and place. There were people that you would share a meal with. There were people that you knew they may have seemed a little strange depending on who they are and how they behaved. But, but this is, you know, you're, you're hearing uh, the word of God through these people. And, and it's not, as we're reading these things, um, these are historic documents. These are not just, you know, made up religious things. These are historically grounded. We can go to the places where these things happened. Uh, we, we can mark, especially in Haggai, we can mark historically and say, yep, this happened in this place with this people at this time. So um, let's look here at Haggai uh, chapter one, verses one and two. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shutiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So I kind of laid the context for us and here how, is how this uh, starts. And, and uh, the minor prophets are full of this phrase, and the word of the Lord came. In this context, it says, and the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. And there's this challenge, hey, why have you stopped building my house? And, and there's this quote where it says that, that, that God is saying he's challenging them. I've, I've heard what you said, that the time has not yet come to rebuild. Somehow they started the work. They started doing the right thing, but they either got discouraged, distracted, intimidated. Something happened that caused them to stop the work and to stop investing in the very things that they had been sent there to do. It was an absolute miracle from God. It was a work of the grace of God that they were sent to this place. And it was very clear, not only did God speak to them, 
right, through his prophets, but he actually spoke to them through the, the heathen rulers of the people who, land, who ruled the land where they're at, that they were supposed to go and build the temple. And they went and they started with a sort of zeal. They saw the grace of God in that context, but something happened where as they be, began to get further into the process, they stopped the work. They said, nope, time's not right. Priorities have changed. We got to get this thing going. And so there's this foundation there. You can picture if you've ever seen like a, a building kind of in process. Maybe there's a couple, you know, beams up. There's some, you know, a pile of stones that's just a pile that are supposed to end up. Some of you, some of you have these sorts of things like on your property, right? <laughs> Any of you have some projects that need to be finished in and around your house? See, I know how it goes. I, I have that dynamic. And so um, the the word of God is coming to them to challenge them in this element. And so uh, I want to talk about three reorientations as we just bring this this home. The first is being reoriented to obedience. I think the last time I was here, I may have talked about obedience a little bit, but... um, It's really interesting in uh, these verses and in this challenge that God is saying, hey, um, I sent you here to do something and you've stopped doing it. And um, we know that we um, are saved, right, by grace, right? We, we know that we're not striving to obey in order to, uh, to be good enough for God. It's Christ's obedience that is our confidence. We also need to understand that the grace of God is not just to save us, but it's to sustain us in becoming uh, those who reflect the character of Christ that that, um, that are faithful to the call of Christ and the work of Christ. And so um, every good thing that we do, it's rooted in grace. Just the inclination to obey is the grace of God. But I wanna encourage us to consider this morning that grace is sufficient, but not coercive. God doesn't coerce us to obedience. He graces us for us, but, but there's this element Uh, in our lives where we can actually resist doing the right thing. We know this, that we still disobey, that we can still fall short, that we can still say things that are not God's will for us to say, and and we can still behave in ways that, that reflect the fact that God is still at work in our character. Am I talking to the right people? And so, um, this call to obedience, this reorientation to obedience, is it's a really important thing for us, thing for us to remember um, as we try to faithfully live out um, the life that God has called us to as Christians. It's a life by grace, but it's a life where we're designed to put the things of God first, to prioritize the things of God, and to look through this lens of obedience 
uh, as opposed to maybe organization or circumstance. See, why was the time not right to build the temple of God? You ever wonder maybe what that was about? One of the probable reasons, and we see this show up a lot in regards to um, the story of Nehemiah, which comes after this season of time, is look, the walls are breaking down. We don't, we don't have the types of structures that are going to allow us to kind of feel like we're protected and sustained. We're, we're kind of vulnerable. All the stuff isn't right for us to be able to do this extra thing, which is building the temple of God. You know, let's, let's kind of make sure we got a roof over our heads. We got some good streets. We got some walls to protect us. Does that seem, it seems relevant. It seems to make sense. It certainly did for the people of the time. We find this uh, in some different ways. Obviously, you gotta be careful when you talk uh, uh, about obedience. It, it, it always has to come under the reality of who Jesus is and what he accomplished at the cross. But it's easy for us to say, maybe God's put a financial gift on our heart. It's easy to say, I'll do that as soon as I get these other things taken care of. Maybe he's, he's put volunteering in a particular way. Maybe it's helping in foster care on your heart. You're like, I'll get to that as soon as I get all of these other things done. Soon as I am faithful to figure this project up and we got to do this. And there's always a reason in a culture that doesn't honor God to put the things of God behind the things that that culture honors. There's always a way of orienting your life around the things that the culture says make sense to get you secure and to get things rightly ordered in your life that's going to be different than the things that God says he wants you to do in order for you to be secure and to do these things. And honestly, we see this uh, play out even in, um, in being a local church. Do you know that in a biblical context, um, we're, we are designed a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ is always designed to be personal it's never designed to be private. It's always designed to be walked out as part of the house of God and the, the people of God. We, you know, I, I know technically, you, you know, we can be part of the body of Christ as soon as we're saved as Christians, but it was meant to be lived out in the reality of a community like this. And uh, as much as we individually are talked about as the temple of God, we're just as much corporately like this being talked about as the temple of God. And in a very practical way, I'm the guest speaker, and if I mess up, I know Paul is a faithful friend to, to correct me here, but, but I see this play out so much in people's lives who are so in the ways of the world and the ways of the world's thinking that being part of the body of Christ is this thing we add to a good life as opposed to being a priority for help, what shapes and directs our life. And we feel be good about giving a little bit of time to help in this way. We, we give 
to being part of the house of God and the people of God as something on the margins of our life rather than in the very core of our life and what we're supposed to be and do. And I love Soma and I honor, I mean, I know for years the, the way that you sacrificially give of time and resources. And I loved what you've done in Courthouse Square. So, so let the Holy Spirit convict you. I'm not judging in any way, but, but what I'm saying is there's always going to be things that are going to get us to try and belittle what we invest in being the community of faith. But God says to the people, hey, consider your ways. It's not a bad time of year to be reflecting on this, right? As we're kind of looking, we're going to start looking back on 2022 and considering 2023. And it says, in your evaluation, are things adding up? And he says, I already know the answer because you're not, you haven't prioritized the things that I've called you to do. And as a result, you're not seeing the blessing, the fruitfulness, the, the, the result of what comes through right order. Goes on. Reoriented to presence. He says now, to Zerubbabel, yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So, one of the reasons why I love Haggai is that when the word of God comes to the people who receive it, guess what happens? They hear it and obey. Now, if you spend much time in the prophetic books, you see a lot of times where they, they don't hear it and they don't obey. So I love it. The word of God comes to them and their hearts are softened and they begin the work of building the temple. They obey. I love this. This is awesome. And um, God's word comes again to them as they're in this place of obedience. And what does he promise them? He says that he is with them. And this is a huge part of our reorientation in regards to um, the, the being the people of God, pursuing the life of God by the grace of God. And that is the promise of presence. Can I tell you something, and I wish I could articulate it um, more powerfully, more meaningfully, more eloquently than I have the capacity to because it's so important. Christianity is not deism. The scripture, one of the the things that the, the scripture is trying to show us over and over again is the promise and the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus doesn't get, just give us an assignment in the Great Commission. He gives us the promise of his presence. I will be with you always. In fact, there is really no example in the scripture uh, in any type of, of meaningful way where anything meaningful happens in the purposes of God without God being present in the midst of that with his people. He has always designed and desired relationship with us and, and we are not here performing for him we are here in a relationship with him and God has always 
uh, is always promised that he will be with his people. And so when we look at the scripture, we're not to look at the scripture or the word of God or the things of God or obeying God through the lens of performance from a distance. The Bible is not just a list of do's and don'ts and commands. It is a story of a God who loves his people, who has delivered his people through his son, Jesus Christ, and who always is desiring to be with his people. He wants a relationship with us. And it's not a relationship confined to 30 minutes in the morning in a comfy chair with a cup of coffee, reading the Bible as good as that is. He wants our entire life to be oriented around the fact that he is present. And and this is such a a key orientation to fight for because I promise you on a daily basis, just in the nature of the world we live in, we're designed to believe there is, we're designed to to be thinking, pressured to be thinking there is no God or if there is a God, he is a long ways away. But here we see this word saying, hey, um, be strong, be bold, because I am with you. I'm with you. This promise of presence. It's the promise that fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's a promise that remains with us today that we live our lives in light of the fact that God is not far off, but that he is near and accessible relationally with us. This is the thing that we contend for as we engage with him in the word and prayer and in gathering together in community as the celebration of the presence of God in our lives. Finally, reoriented, the consecration. This is an interesting, very interesting dynamic that shows up in Haggai and in uh, Ezra is the fact that um, the temple that they are building is, um, it really falls short in comparison to the temple that was destroyed by Babylon when Judah went into exile. And because you're only talking about like 70 years or so, there were people alive who remember the old temple. And when they saw the foundation and what the new temple was going to be, they wept because it just didn't compare very well. And man, comparison can mess us up. Comparison can mess us up. That's a good chance to say amen if you're, you're tracking with me. The Bible um, warns us against comparison. And it's interesting because in this framework, they're comparing the temple. They're comparing two good things. I want to bring forward this word consecration uh, over and against comparison, specifically because we're talking about the temple. See, the purpose of a temple, I mean, they 
they were built to be grandiose. And, and you look in the scripture, both with the tabernacle and the temple, and you're seeing, you know, solid gold and beautiful art. And I mean, it, it was meant to be impressive to look at. In fact, uh, the, the temple that Israel was given to build was meant to be a, a model of God's original creation intent. The Holy of Holies was meant to be a picture of the Garden of Eden. And so it was designed to be impressive in that way. But the point of the temple was not to impress people by the structure, as much as that may be a subpoint. The point of the temple was that it would be filled with the Spirit of God. See, the, the culmination, in, in, and we know that this was just a shadow, right, of, of Jesus as the, the temple of God and, and uh, who he is and what we as the body of Christ become in relation to that. The culmination, probably the high point of all the temples was when Solomon consecrated that temple. And as beautiful as it was, it was just a building until the presence, the glory of God came and filled that place at such a level that they couldn't even stand. Consecration is this element of being set apart for God, sanctified for God. It is this same concept that goes with this prayer in the Lord's Prayer and this element that we talked about in our catechism this morning, hallowed be your name. Holy, sacred, set apart in our lives. God, you are to be consecrated And this picture of consecration goes um, hand in hand with this awareness of presence. It's that that God would come and by his presence make things holy, starting with the temple. And and here's the thing is that God promised in Numbers 14.21 that as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of God. And there's not a nature of our life, there's not a component of our life that's not meant to be consecrated to God. And the picture is interesting. It doesn't all have to be spectacular. It just all has to find its relationship in right relationship to the priority of things being consecrated to God. So it says that God rested on the seventh day to make it holy, to consecrate it. God consecrated time with the Sabbath. I'm not saying that we have to adhere to the Sabbath and the law that way, but I do want to say God wants your time consecrated in your life. He consecrated uh, place and space with the temple in this way. And I'm not saying that, that, you, know, uh, that uh, you know, you have to come to this building, right, and think of it the way they thought of that temple, but I do want to say that God wants to comp- consecrate space in your life. And God wants to consecrate money in your life and he wants to consecrate things in your life and he wants to consecrate work in your life. And so what the word comes to the people through Haggai and says is don't get hung up on the fact that this temple doesn't compare in size to the earlier temple. What you need to be hung up on is that when you consecrate this space to me, I'm going to fill it, and the glory of the latter temple is going to be greater than the glory of the former temple. And this is 
a prophecy that's picked up in Hebrews 12, right? But it's this picture that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we see this orientation of obedience and presence and consecration being this message to the people of God in Haggai, a message that by the grace of God, they responded to, and then the greater purposes of God were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So I just want to end with one scripture that's not in Haggai, but that I think is very relevant that will hopefully bring something home for us this morning. It's a well-known scripture for us, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. Beautiful, beautiful admonition to the people of God, a reminder of the fact that we're not just here to enjoy life, we're here to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. We're here to be witnesses, evangelists in and through our lives. And we see this word, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. And this captures this element of the message to the people of God in Haggai. This word sanctify and consecrate, they're the same word as you trace it through the Septuagint and all of that type of stuff. And here's what I want to say is that often when these words are talked about, they're used in this sort of uh, apologetics way of learn your doctrine, figure out your arguments, have your way of being able to address all the critical and current issues of the day. And I am all for those things. I, apologetics is huge. Knowing our word, knowing the answers, it is absolutely huge. But what I want to say is what's being talked about here is not about just filling your mind with answers to questions. It's about doing what it actually said, sanctifying Christ as Lord in your hearts. It's about the fact that that you are to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. And you may have responded to the gospel at one point and a sort of foundation may have been laid, but have you continued to put Jesus Christ first? Have you continued to prioritize obedience to God and, and building that life and relationship with him? Is your life a place where you're in a relationship where the presence of God is known? And, and as people look and see your life, See, I think some of the questions and the interaction that's being talked about here is not necessarily intellectual. It's this thing where people see, wow, I've seen more impressive temples, but there's a spirit of God dwelling in you where, where something different is in this place. I don't think we're going to win people to Christ because we're the smartest or the tallest or the most musical or you fill in the blank. It's the grace of God, the life of God, the presence of God exhibited in and through our lives. It's going to be able to see and hear and understand that there is something categorically different 
about followers of Jesus. So I want to thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. And I want to encourage you through this message of Haggai to do uh, what the Lord says in the very beginning where he says, um, take stock, consider what's going on in your life. Are you hallowing my name? Are you putting me first? Are you making place for my presence? Are you sanctifying me as Lord in your heart and in your life? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word and for your faithfulness, God, to not leave us in our own uh, understanding, to not leave us trapped in our own ways, but to continually come and and speak to us and engage us and draw us um, towards you. You. We pray, God, that you would help us uh, just have hearts that are open to hear your word. If there are areas, God, where you are challenging us to obedience, God, help us to be like the people who heard this message through Haggai and obey. God, if there are areas of um, fear and insecurity in our lives uh, about pursuing the things of God and putting the things of God first, God, would you encourage us by your presence? as you did with the people who heard this message from Haggai. And finally, Lord, um, as we're assessing uh, our lives and our capacity and all of our stuff, uh, Lord, don't let us get caught up in comparison, but let us be caught up in consecration, knowing that um, what truly uh, sets us apart is um, your life seen and shown through us. And we pray these things, Lord, I just bless so much church. God, that they would truly be um, salt and light, a city on a hill that um, draws people's attention, not because of, um, God, the, the natural things that they do that might be impressive, but because of the reality that your life, your love, your truth is known in this place. And pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.